Hello and welcome to The Story, a podcast where great stories are shared and told. Do you love being immersed in drama, romance and suspense? Do you like to forget about the world you live in and step into someone else's world? Do you like to fall in love with characters that seem so real that you can identify with them and you just can't stop thinking about them? Well, you have come to the right place. This is a podcast that does just that. I narrate my second book, Rise of a Source Survival, where each week I read out a chapter of my book and I encourage other writers to join me in sharing some of the stories they have written. It's all about support and listening to a good story. So join us and embark on a journey of storytelling. Hello and welcome to the podcast for episode 24, Dardanos. It's hard to believe that there is only two episodes left after today. It has all gone so quick. I will be doing a season three, however, with my third book. So there are still more episodes to come. So it's not all bad news. I really enjoyed creating the second book, Rise of a Sore Survival. And I think it is my favourite out of the series. Rise of a Source Survival is also the longest book. And as you are all aware, it is jammed with drama and suspense. I wrote this book when I was working full time. And it was a way to unwind and de-stress from a job that was very stressful. As you all know, my favourite part of writing is the creating part. That first messy draft, I absolutely love it. Okay, let's do our quote for this week, which is actually a Chinese proverb. Be not afraid of going slowly. Be afraid of standing still. This is a fantastic quote and one which helped me to continue writing. As you will know, the first book of the series, Rise of a Saw, The Beginning, will be released next September. And by that time, it would have been four years from when I first sat down and began to write. Writing is a long process, but you have to trust it. Be patient and not be afraid of the time taken to get to the end point. In my case, story being published. We never get anywhere if we don't start. Okay, let's do a weekly recap. And today it is for episode 23, New Life. Last week, we heard how Merrick learns that the Osaurus planning on attacking Midwinter, and the seer advises him to prepare for war. Tension is building, and Merrick's community have become a hive of anxious activity. Merrick and Eleanor rekindle their marriage, and we heard how Merrick and his family welcomed the arrival of new life. I hope you're ready for another drama-packed episode, so get comfy everyone, and enjoy. Eleanor nursed one of her twin daughters, while Merrick gently burped the other. They were both small, however the last baby was even smaller. She struggled to cling to life, and Eleanor fed her every hour, willing her to fight. Have you thought of names for our girls? Merrick asked. Eleanor smiled. Yes, I have. He raised an eyebrow, surprised that Eleanor had not consulted him. I had their names picked as soon as I knew I was having twins. He nodded. 
Are you going to keep me in suspense all day? She grinned. No, of course not. I have called them Enwin. She pointed to the baby Merrick nursed. Have you noticed she has light-coloured hair like her sister Ada, and her name means beautiful and fair? Merrick chuckled and kissed Enwin's head softly. And the other? He asked, looking at the small baby attached to Eleanor's breast. Eleanor looked down at the baby, overcome with love and joy. She is strong-willed, so I've called her Annie. Merrick chuckled again. How did you know they would be fair and strong-willed? This time it was Eleanor's turn to laugh. I knew one would be a fighter, and the other was just a guess, but I did know they would be beautiful. Nori, how do you know they were going to be girls? Eleanor looked up at her husband and shrugged. Just a hunch, I guess. Merrick bent down and kissed her. Maybe I've married a seer, he told her as his laughter filled the room. The seer had a welcome ceremony for the new babies a month after they had been born. He knew it would be the last for some time. Ada had planned to mind travel the following evening. Welcoming new life always brought a renewed energy and a positivity to a community. This time it also gave hope. Hope that they had a future and for all the pregnant women who still had not given birth. The twins of a survival was a good omen for the future and all came to celebrate. Eleanor had bled heavily after her birth and the healer warned she may never carry again. It did not bother the leader's wife. She had her family and she was content. She sat next to Merrick at the head of the table. Sabin and Edith offered, offered to take care of the babies while they said their speeches. Eleanor was grateful for all the help she'd been given. Aye, Nori, I'm thinking I might convince Edith to try for another. I think I could get used to being a father. He chuckled as he nursed Annie. Eleanor smiled. She felt so happy and blessed. You would make a fine father, Sabin, and Edith is already a wonderful mother. Sabin wiped away a tear, embarrassed at the show of emotion. Aye, Nori, you're making a grown man cry. Eleanor leaned and hugged him before planting a kiss on his cheek. You're the best friend I've ever had, Sabin. Thank the gods for them sending you to us. Sabin nodded. For once he was at a loss for words, so overcome with emotion that he did not trust himself to speak. Eleanor ran the comb through her dark, long, dark hair as she gazed at the tiny babies that were asleep in the crib next to her and Merrick's bed. She felt Merrick kiss her on her shoulder and she smiled, delighted at the feel of his touch. My beautiful wife, you have produced some fine-looking daughters, Merrick whispered in her ear. Eleanor chuckled. I think you may have had a hand in helping to create them. She turned to face him, sitting cross-legged in front of him. Merrick cupped her face and kissed her fully on the mouth. Eleanor closed her eyes, relishing the moment. She opened them again before Merrick burst into laughter. What is it? Eleanor asked. He shook his head, continuing to laugh. Eleanor pushed him back gently and sat astride him, pinning him beneath her. 
Hey, Nori, you better not get any ideas. I have to go and hunt today. Merrick managed to say between bursts of laughter. She grabbed his wrists, placing them above his head. What if I don't let you? She teased. Merrick sat up and quickly pushed Eleanor back and began to tickle her. Merrick, she squealed. You'll wake the babies. She wreathed under him, trying to escape his hold. Merrick was strong and she was unable to break free from his grasp. Please, Merrick, let me go, she begged. Merrick stopped tickling her and gazed into her green eyes. Promise me you'll never leave me. His tone had become serious. Eleanor felt her heart swell with love that she had for the man who now leered over her. I promise. Now, please, you must get off me. Don't you have a hunt on soon? She wiggled and felt his grasp loosen. Taking advantage of the opportunity, she sat up kissing him. Merrick closed his eyes before sitting up and leaning back on his pillows. One of the babies stirred and Eleanor made her way over to the crib to peer in at the small infant. The baby opened her eyes and looked around the room before noticing her mother. Hey, little one, Eleanor cooed. The baby stretched and opened and closed her small mouth. Eleanor, I have to leave soon. Would you like to join me for breakfast before she's fully awake and demanding your time? Merrick smiled as Al- at Eleanor as she turned her attention away, her attention from her newborn baby. I would love that more than anything. Who is going? She left the side of the crib to focus back on Merrick. Tallet and Flamer and I Tallet and Flamer and I've invited Sabin and Ulrich too. Eleanor raised an eyebrow. Tallet and Flamer, will you be okay? She still felt uneasy when she spoke about Tallet, and she still did not trust Flamer. Flamer had kept his distance since Suri and the other men were exiled. She had, however, noticed him looking at her from a distance, a strange expression on his face. I want to reconnect with Tallet again. It's important that we can bond and fight alongside each other once more. Merrick paused and pulled at his beard. As for Flamer, Mother wants me to take him. He's always been difficult and been at odds with his jealous streak. Merrick shrugged and let his gaze linger on his wife who sat in front of him. You have nothing to worry about, he said half smiling. I'm not worried, Merrick. I know you can handle him. Please, he stopped before rushing on. Talit and I have shared nothing together except friendship. Merrick looked away and nodded. She felt he did not believe her and there was nothing she could do to change his mind. She moved closer to him and leaned into him, breathing in his masculine scent. Merrick turned, swinging his legs over the edge of the bed. His back now faced Eleanor so that she could not read his expression. He ran his hands through his hair and stood. Might skip breakfast, Eleanor, I'm running late anyway. He gave her a brief look before pulling on some trousers. Are you sure? Eleanor felt hurt with Merrick's sudden withdrawal. Yeah, I'm sure. He gave her a quick kiss on the top of her forehead before striding from the room. Eleanor's heart sunk and her feelings were mixed. How come he had a girlfriend 
and it was obvious the relationship he had with her. And yet I haven't done anything, and he still doesn't believe me. The thought raced through her mind. She pushed her irritation away as one of the twins let out a shrill cry, demanding to be fed. Ada felt herself inside a dark tunnel. Complete blackness engulfed her. She held the candle high so that she could walk without tripping over. She did not know how she'd gotten inside the tunnel, or for how long. Fear wormed itself within her, making her heart race. A strong odour permeated through the tunnel, causing her to gag as she reached out to hold the side of the earth wall to steady herself. She waited for the nausea to pass before cautiously taking a step forward. She placed her shirt over her face to help filter out the strong, pungent odour. Willing herself to keep moving, she once again set off. She had no idea where, why or which direction she was going in. The only thing she knew was she had to keep moving forward. Slowly she inched her way further into the deep, dark tunnel. A long, throaty cry resonated through the passageway, causing Ada's heart to skip a beat. She paused, waiting to see what would happen next. Another cry could be heard, and she was unsure whether it was a cry of pain or pleasure. It was strange and foreign, and nothing like she had ever heard before. Taking a breath, she continued her march forward. The cries now became a chorus, almost deafening, and she struggled to squash the rising panic that threatened to overwhelm her. You must get closer, Ada. What you seek is in front of you, the familiar voice told her soothingly. She shuddered involuntarily. The voice had been a guide for almost her entire life, and she wondered the source that it came from. As she ventured further, she could make out a light. It was glowing, a bright orange, and she made her way towards it. Don't go any further, the voice warned her. She stopped, happy to oblige whoever was guiding her. As she peered ahead, she could see the roots of a tree. It wormed and stretched itself into the tunnel. As she continued to stare, she could see the roots were dark and appeared ancient as they made their woody ascent up out of the passageway. She could not see much of the trunk as the roof of the tunnel closed in around it. Edging forward, Ada sucked in her breath as she saw Dardanos, the queen of the Azor. She sat within the latticework of tree roots, her hair spilled all around her, tendrils that spread out like a heavy coat. Ada crouched down, fearful that she would be seen. The queen was watching her warriors as they pushed forward a group of humans. The cries were both from the queen and the warriors as they delighted in the fear that the humans felt. Ada wanted to look away, not wanting to see the fate that would be bestowed on the terrified people but she was unable to tear away her gaze. As she watched one of the queen's tendrils flicked out, reaching for the closest person to her, 
The woman screamed as it enfolded around her, bringing before bringing her to the queen's mouth. The queen of Assur began to devour the woman, cutting off her screams as blood dripped from her mouth. Ada watched in horror and disbelief as the queen consumed the woman, a bitter, cruel look on her face. The rest of the group who'd watched in terror attempted to flee. The queen threw her head back and laughed before waving them away. The warriors pushed and shoved the small group before moving them from their queen, who let out a cruel, wicked laugh. Ada closed her eyes, unable to comprehend the scene she had just witnessed. Time for you to leave, Ada, the voice instructed. Ada woke gasping. She sat up and placed her hands to her face as tears rolled down. She pulled her legs up, crouching into a small ball. The resolve and courage she had felt had abandoned her. She began to rock, feeling like she had lost her mind. She did not hear the door open and Anja and the seer come to her side. Anja tenderly, tenderly brushed it by a strand of hair. We are here, dear child. Hush now. Ada turned and buried herself into her grandmother's chest, her sobs heaving. Anja embraced the young woman and hummed soothingly, waiting for her to finish crying. After a little while, Ada pushed herself away from Anja's embrace, looking for something to blow her nose and wipe her tears. The seer offered a cloth, which earned him a grateful smile. Ada blew her nose and took in a deep, cleansing breath. I saw her. In your dream? The seer frowned, waiting for Ada to explain. She nodded as a fresh set of tears began to spill and roll down her face. She quickly wiped them away. She's hideous. I mean, she's nothing that I've ever seen or come across before. She dabbed the cloth at her eyes, wiping away her tears. <laughs> Ada, what else would she be? I mean, she's a queen of a force that is evil and our enemy. The seer said gently. Ada nodded. <laughs> I know, she sniffed. It's just that... She paused and looked down at the bed. She ate a woman. A fresh set of tears began to flow and she wiped her nose with the back of her hand. Angel once again embraced her. Dear Ada, it should not come as a surprise. Her name means to devour. Ada cradled one of her twin, twin sisters, seeking comfort from the small baby as she related to her mother the dream she had had. Eleanor shook her head, taken aback by what her daughter had described. She gave Ada her tea with one of the freshly baked scones Ludwood had baked her as a special treat. He'd grown fond of the young woman and fussed over her when she came to stay. She gently took the baby from Ada and placed her in the wooden cradle that had been dragged into the kitchen. Where's Papa? 
Ada asked as she swallowed a mouthful of the scone. Is out hunting with Sabin, Flamer, Tallet and Ulrich, Eleanor answered as she sat down next to her daughter. She frowned as she wondered how they were all getting on. I think I know where she is. Ada's statement interrupted her mother's thoughts. Who, Ada? Eleanor wanted her to confirm that it was the Queen of the Assault she was referring to. Dardanus, I know where she is. Eleanor cast a glance around the kitchen. Ludwig was busy preparing vegetables for the evening meal and appeared he had not heard Ada. The seer and Anja were both out with serenity. People had been coming more frequently to seek guidance and counsel from the wisest members of the community. Please do not worry, Mother. I will tell you all when they return. Ada met Eleanor's bewildered stare and gave her a tight smile. Eleanor shuddered involuntarily. The memory of Ada's dream still vivid. Merrick had taken the men as far from the valley as he dared. He was rewarded with a new scenery, a mix of patches of forest and open grasslands. The Zeosaur had not yet ventured so far north and destroyed the pristine environment. Large groups of deer and moose grazed, offering a potential supply of fresh meat. Excitement coursed through the men as they worked out a plan on how to hunt down the animals that foraged in the meadow that lay in front of them. Talit chuckled. Looks like we get a choice of what to bring down. He ran his eye over one of the bucks that had poked its head up, sniffing the air and twitching its ears. Hunt and kill as many as you can take back with you. We are low on supplies, Mary constructed. They did not need any further encouragement as they proceeded to discuss the best method in capturing their intended prey. The sun was making its slow descent, ushering in the cold winter night. Merrick finished tying the deer he had brought down before hitching it behind the pack horse. He had not intended to stay out the entire day, but the hunt had been more successful than he had hoped. He swept his gaze over to where the others, who were also hitching their kill, to the back of the pack horses that had been brought with them. Aye, I think I see a light, Sabin announced as he mounted his horse. Merrick frowned and looked to where Merrick, where Sabin was watching the horizon. I see it too, Tallet said. A faint yellow light was moving in the distance. Who could that be? Ulrich turned to his father with a look of worry on his face. Merrick looked at the sun. It would not be much longer before it disappeared from the sky. Ulrich, you and Sabin take the pack horses and head for home. Organise some of the warriors to come back here. We don't know who this is, and I'm not taking any chances. He threw the reins of his pack horse to Ulrich before setting off at a gallop towards the distant light. Flamer and Tallet followed suit. As Merrick came closer to the mystery light, he signalled for his brother and Talit to, sp- to spread out. He wanted to surprise the approaching horsemen. The three men walked their horses in behind the tree line before coming to a stop to see who was coming. Dark shadows settled over the forest and a hoot of an owl could be heard, breaking the evening silence. Merrick shivered. The night was growing colder. Soon he could make out three horsemen 
and was relieved that they were not the Asaul. One of their men held a torch to help him see the way he was going, and as he came closer, Merrick recognised him as one of his own scouts. He frowned as his mind raced to which the scouts were due back from their reconnaissance trip. Merrick let out a low whistle, a signal that would not startle the approaching scouts and to alert Flamer and Tallet. He urged his big white stallion out of the tree line and waited for the scouts. Flamer and Tallet joined him as the three men reined in their horses in front of Merrick. The first of the scouts jumped from his horse and held the torch up high. He bowed in respect for his leader. Merrick could see he had been riding hard for days. He was filthy and his horse was close to exhaustion. Master, we came back early. The Asura on the move and they have an army. The scouts' words tumbled over one another. Merrick held up his hand. Take a breath before you continue. I need to hear what you have to say. Not a jumble of words. The scout nodded and took the water skin that Talon offered. He took a large swallow, gulping down the liquid, before handing it back to the scouts behind him. He wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and took in another breath. Thank you, gave a brief nod and looked back up at Merrick. You sent us three weeks ago to go gather information on the Asaul. We went, went way south but close to the sea and all we saw was bodies and burnt forest. They left nothing alive. After about a week, we crossed the last remnant forest, and that's when we saw them. Master, it's the biggest army I've ever seen. They are like hornets coming out of a hive. The man's voice had started to rise as he relayed what they'd seen. As Merrick listened, the night seemed to grow colder. His fear of how big the Asaur's army had gripped him and it sickened him to the call. How far away are they? he demanded. At least a week. We rode back here as quick as we could. We didn't expect to see you so far south. Merrick nodded. Good work. He clenched his jaw. They needed to get back to the valley and have an emergency meeting with his mother and the seer. He signalled them to follow him as he made his way back to his people. Eleanor had finished feeding her babies, and as she gently tucked them in their cradles, she heard horses approaching. She'd left, she'd felt on edge all evening and could not get what Ada had told her out of her mind. She'd pushed the assault to the corners of her mind, not wanting to think about the impending battle that would take place. Fear clutched at her as she heard Ulrich make his way in the front door. She made her way to the kitchen, her heart pounding. The feeling of bad news had wormed itself into her mind. What is going on, Ulrich? Has your father been hurt? Ulrich shook his head. No, there was a horseman approaching and he wanted me and Sabin to come back and organise some warriors to go back and meet him. I'm here to let you know. I have a feeling it is some of the scouts sent out weeks ago. Ulrich did not wait for his mother's response. Instead, he turned to walk back out the door. You might want to find the seer. I have a feeling it will be important. Eleanor followed Ulrich out the door and watched him mount his gelding before leaving. 
It was not long before Merrick was seated with his mother, the seer Ulrich and Ada. The scouts had briefly relayed their news to the seer before Merrick dismissed them to get much needed rest and decent food. Eleanor was in the kitchen helping Ludwig prepare tea and cake. There was much to discuss. She still could not shake the fear that her had her within its grasp. The feeling of a coming change was imminent. The concern she had for her newborn twins was enormous, and she wondered how they would ever outrun an enemy so intent in wiping them from the planet. She helped Ludwig carry in the heavily laden trays and debated whether she should stay or return to the comfort of the kitchen. Stay, Eleanor. You need to hear what is being prepared. Angela threw her a comforting smile, understanding her daughter-in-law's fears. Eleanor returned a smile and settled herself on a cushion next to the older woman. How do we fight such an army? How many do we have, Papa? I bet it's not even half the number what they have. Ulrich looked at his father, a frown etched on his forehead. There is no way we can win a battle against such a big army as theirs. Merrick let out a deep breath. (sighs) We have a few things they don't have, the seer informed them. They also don't know that I know where their queen is, Ada added. The small group looked over to where she was seated. I wanted to tell you that I know where she is from the dream I had. It will give us an advantage, and I have an idea on how we can flush her out. The seer raised an eyebrow, visibly impressed by his young protégé. I can mind travel to where she is and distract her. While you send a small army, you can set fire to the tunnels that she resides in. She will call for reinforcements, as she does not have a huge army guarding her. That is a good idea, Ada. But what about some of the Asaur that can mind travel? They might not be as good as us, but I'm sure they are honing in on their new craft. Ulrich looked at his sister. He remembered the village that had been controlled by the Asaur. Are we sure they know where we are? Eleanor could not help but interrupt. She was fervently hoping they would be unable to find them. Enja shook her head. Zuri will lead them straight here. She too was signed a pact with the devil. We have enemies of the human kind as well. Anja confirmed Eleanor's fears. How long did the scouts say we have until they reach here? The seer asked Merrick. He thinks around a month. They have a huge army and it takes time for them to move. We need to make plans then. Every person in this village will have a job to do. We have Emsi and his horses. They will come in handy in getting to places fast. We have a strong, battle-hardened warriors that you have trained. And we have magic. They all turned to look at the seer, with puzzled expressions. He smiled at their questioning looks. Ada can make fire. Andrew and I can get inside people's minds. Thinking of training Serenity to help with the mind travel. She is from a long line of seers. We will discuss this with Takio about his seer and any weaknesses that can be to our advantage. We must strategize our battle plan, and this will take time. I suggest we start at first light. Our people will need to be aware of the army of the Asaur. We also need to be able to hide our most vulnerable. 
He paused and looked at Eleanor. Nori, you will be in charge of this, he said gently. Eleanor swallowed and nodded. Things were about to change. So thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and truly am grateful. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe where you listen to all your favourite podcasts. Take care, everyone, and see you next week on The Story, the podcast where great stories are told. Bye for now.